Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. God is leading us. God is guiding us. God is directing us. Amen. Thank God for what He's doing in the earth. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We're following Him. Well, if you will, let's turn back to Acts 26. And we'll go to Acts 26, 19. And we'll just go along that lines again. It seems good to the Holy Ghost. Because we need to understand the times... And we need to understand the seasons that we live in. Isn't that right? Understand the times. Need to understand the seasons that we live in and what God is doing. We talked, started talking about last night about uh, uh, staying with the move of God, you know. Going with God, flowing with God, moving on with God. We want to do that. We don't want to miss anything. Isn't that right? I'm always asking the Lord, Lord, don't let me miss anything that you're doing in this earth. Lord, whatever you do, and I want to be right in the middle of it, you know. And uh, thank God we will. Thank God you will. But there is a revelation that the body of Christ as a whole needs to understand, uh, especially in our circles. You know what I mean? Our circles, you know, we're a kindred spirit. and We appreciate your pastors and, and you and, and all of you that, you know, you're the kind of folks that just shouts at the drop of a hat. But the only, what I found... And what I found out about you is uh, if somebody don't drop the hat, you'll do it yourself. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, so we want to shout, but we want to know how to walk when we hit the ground. And know what God is doing and know what God is saying. Ah, I said, know what God is doing and know what God is saying. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the Spirit of God. Thank God for what he's doing in this earth because God is not going to withhold secrets from us, but he's going to reveal it to his people through his servants. He wants us to understand what's going on today and the plan of God for today. And we're moving into it. In Acts chapter 26, I believe it's where you told me to turn to because you're a participator, remember? And we're not going to read the whole thing and go over it. We're just going to hit some high points and go on. We're going to do some reiterating. said, so why do we do reiterating? Because uh, you can hook up in the same anointing that you was under if you learn how to reiterate. said, so where'd you learn that from? Dad Hagen. You know, Dad Hagen said his sermons were like boxcars or train cars. He never got through. Remember, he just unhooked. Then he would come and hook back up. So I asked the Lord years ago, I said, what in the world is he talking about? He said, you've heard him talk about reiterating. In other words, going back covering the same, the same ground in the natural will bring you to that same place in the spirit. You understand? It will bring you to that place and you build on what God's already doing. You don't have to start over again. You understand it? You got that, right? You don't have to start over again. A lot of times if you don't watch it, you can get to wanting to do something Go in this way, do something spectacular or something, and we all thank God for the move of the Holy Ghost and spectacular, whatever. But you can get to trying to go another direction and miss what God is doing. And you find yourself starting over every service. And you have to try to build or get back into the anointing, get back where you want to. But if you'll just hook on to what God's already anointed and stay with it, He'll take it in that flow. And of course, that doesn't mean that services can't be different because they can. 
That's why we need to learn to follow the Holy Ghost, and that's what we do, and that's what this church does. Amen? So we're going on with God regardless of what the devil says. Isn't that right? And y'all remember the song, right? What's the name of the song? All right. <laughs> In Acts 26, 19, if you wouldn't hear, you'll have to get somebody to sing it to you later. But anyway, <laughs> but they were all fallen to the earth. In Acts chapter 26, verse number 14, Paul was out arresting people, remember? And uh, he was coming against the plan of God. He was coming against the purposes of God. He was coming against the move of God in the earth. Man and the government, whoever you want to call it. He had papers so he could arrest Christians. Remember we read that. Have them arrested, he would testify against them, and then at times he would have them tortured till they blasphemed the name of Jesus. But here Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus in, in Acts 26 14. He says, When we were all fallen to the earth. Now, when they fell to the earth, remember the choir ran out of the bushes, and what song did they sing? Another one bit the dust. Got them trained well. Amen. <laughs> of course, uh, what I mean by that, you know, is nobody can withstand the plan and purpose of God. God will put up, you know, Saul done this for a while. He persecuted the church for a while. This went on for a time. It looked like he was going to get away with it. But one day the Lord got tired of it. When the Lord gets fed up with stuff, he brings an end to it. And he showed up in his glory, didn't he? And he said, when we were all fallen, every single one of them that opposed the move and plan of God, every one of them fell to the earth and a large choir run out of the shrubs and they sang this song. Another one bit the dust. That's right. You can just know this. When Jesus gets ready to do his will, no human being is going to stop it. Nowhere. No government, no nothing. Jesus it's going to do his will. Amen. Bring it to pass. He asked him, why are you persecuting me? And he said, well, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus, whom you persecuted. And then he called him into the ministry. And let's skip down to verse 19. And he said there in Acts 26, 19, he was telling King Agrippa the experience he had had. This is the latter end of his ministry. And he said this, he said, whereupon or because of what I just told you about King Agrippa, because they gave him permission to stand and speak in what we would call a court of law. He was testifying in his own behalf. In other words, he was his own attorney. That's what he was doing, right? And then he said, because of what I just told you, King Agrippa, whereupon, O King Agrippa, verse 19, he said, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. What was he saying? And all these years I have not changed. I have not turned in another direction. But I've stayed with what the Holy Ghost told me. I stayed with what the Lord told me. And I'm not going to move. Isn't that right? I'm going on in the name of Jesus Christ. And he said, I'm still contending for it. And I'm not going to be moved off of it. It didn't matter if they arrested him. They left him for dead one time. His disciples were standing around all sad and distraught. And suddenly the spirit of life came in him. Stood him back up and said, Come on, boys, let's go preach somewhere else. I'm here to tell you. The power and the anointing of God was on him, and he stayed with it even to the point of death. That's how much he believed in it. But today we're moved too soon. We're moved too quickly. You understand? We're ready to change with the wind and with the fads of the time. Remember this, uh, the cultural trends of society are not moves of God. 
has nothing to do with moves of God, has nothing to do with the Holy Ghost, but because the church lost its way and it had an identity crisis and just reiterating some things. Had an identity crisis. It started in 2006. By 2008, the church was overwhelmed with an identity crisis. What do you mean by identity crisis? They could no longer define what it meant to be a Christian. They could no longer define what the true doctrine to the Word of God was as a whole. Not everybody. And they could not define who the Holy Ghost was. They didn't know who the Holy Ghost, so they got lost. And what did they do? They began to search and they began to look, but they looked mostly in all the wrong places because the only place you can look for the move of God is in prayer seeking God. As they began to look for the move of God, they couldn't find nothing anywhere else. So they looked out at society to see what it was doing. And so they started picking up cultural trends of society. And they decided if we're going to reach this society, as goofed up as they are, that we're going to have to become like them. There's nowhere in the Bible. The Bible says, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. If you're just like who you're trying to reach, then you're not going to reach anybody. You've got to give them a standard to come up to. But we have said that there are no standards. The church as a whole has said there are no standards for Christianity, but that is not what the Bible says. There are standards. Thank God for it. Amen. Hallelujah. So we're going on with God. Turn to Luke chapter 19. We will hit this because we're going to move right on. But Luke chapter 19, we shared this last night. But to hook back up, again, we're reiterating. Reminding ourselves of what we already know. We're hooking up with that same anointing, the same Holy Ghost. It says here in Acts, I mean Luke chapter 19, verse number 41, it says, When he, speaking of Jesus, was come near, talking about to Jerusalem, he beheld, or he looked at the city, and he did what? He wept over Jerusalem. He wept over what you would call the people of God. If you'd permit me, he wept over the church in our day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Why? The latter part of verse 44, because that they knew not the time of their visitation. They missed what God was doing in the earth. And we made the statement last night, let's not let the Lord weep over the church today because we missed the time of our visitation. Because there's a visitation that belongs to us uh, that we're moving into and we're in the edges of it now. I'm telling you we are, but we're not turning to any other direction until we have what God says that we're going to have. And we're not going to back up for it. But notice this, he wept over Jerusalem. Why? Because they missed the time of their visitation. God manifested in the flesh, was right among them, and they did not realize who he was. Had no idea. And of course, we took you into the temple last night, and we're going to turn to the scriptures. And when the baby Jesus, remember, is brought into the temple with Mary and Joseph to be offered up, as the Old Testament said that they should do, and offer sacrifices, it was two turtle doves or two young pigeons, remember, that they had to offer in sacrifice and present this young male unto the Lord. That's when Simeon came in, and he said the Lord had shown him that he would not die until he seen the consolation of Israel. Until he saw the move of God. Because he was praying it in. He was contending for it. And he wasn't going to stop until he had it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then after he seen the baby Jesus. And took him in his arms. And prophesied over him. Remember that? And it went long to Sister Anna came in. Y'all remember her? The prophetess. 
84 years old, served God with fasting and prayers night and day. She come in and prophesied the same thing. There is the move of God. Why? Because they were seeking the move of God, contending for the move of God. Ladies and gentlemen, preparation time is never wasted time. Stay with it in the name of Jesus. Don't quit. Don't give up and don't give in. Let's move on in the name of Jesus. We said this, your present anointing and your future anointing is connected to the past. Your present anointing and your future anointing is connected to the past. In other words, if we don't respect the move of God that took place in prior generations and listen to our elders in the Lord that taught us about the things of God and adhere to them and practice them, we're not going to move further on. They expect us to move further on than what they did. They always do. But you can't go without direction from the Holy Ghost by listening to our elders in the Lord. Amen. We can go further and do more things. So we remember we took you down to the River Jordan. And Jesus, remember, submitted to the ministry of John the Baptist. Remember that? He submitted. What, did he do? what was he doing? He was recognizing, reverencing, honoring, and respecting the move of God in the earth in that day. Even though he represented a new move, a new wave, something that had never happened in the earth before, he could not disrespect what God had done and was doing through John the Baptist. If you wanted to be in the move of God in John the Baptist's day, you had to go where John the Baptist was. So he reverenced and respected that, remember? Embraced it. And then he was baptized by John. Of course, uh, John opposed. Uh, he didn't want to do it. He said, I need to be baptized of you. But Jesus said, no, this is the way to do it. This will be obeying the Bible. You know, this is what the Father God wants. And when he baptized him and Jesus followed proper protocol, respecting the move of God, he came up out of the water and immediately... The anointing came upon him uh, and the heavens were open and God opened the window and said, Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. From Pennsylvania. Hey, Ewans. <laughs> Got some friends over there. Hey, Ewans. What do y'all say around here? You guys, what do y'all say? You all. Okay, y'all good. That's it. said. So God hollered from wherever, you know, background you from. Hey, y'all. Hey, youans. Hey, you guys. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He represented the body of Christ in the earth. How did Jesus please God? By being completely obedient to his father. How do we please God as the body of Christ today? By being completely obedient to our Father based on His Word. Isn't that right? So we see that happen. Isn't that right? So we, we turned to the, we looked at that. We talked about the upper room, remember? If you wanted to be where God was moving, you had to be in the upper room in Acts chapter 2 because that's where God was pouring out His Spirit. Other people were blessed by that move. But uh, if you wanted to be on the first wave, you had to get in it. Isn't that right? Now, moves of God are started through people who are chosen and anointed by God. Moves are God, moves of God are started through people, people, men or women, who are chosen and anointed of God. Anytime God is going to do anything in this earth, He's going to do it through a man or a woman or a combination of both. Anytime. 
But moves of God are started through people. I'm talking about true moves of God. I started through people who are chosen and anointed by God. Reverend Seymour was chosen by God. The least likely suspect. <laughs> it's a good word from my background. You might understand it, but <laughs> I understand it carefully <laughs> and clearly. But uh, Reverend Seymour, he was not of the right color. You understand? He went against the grain of society in that day because there was so much racism and all this kind of stuff that went on. But there was one thing about Seymour, Brother Seymour, Reverend Seymour, don't want to disrespect him, that God liked. He was a man of prayer. And Brother Seymour was used by God. And he was a very humble man. A very humble man. He was called to go. He went to California to try out for a Pentecostal type church. And he had been hanging around Brother Parham. And Brother Parham, you know, over there in, what was it, Topeka, Kansas. That's where the Holy Ghost fell on them. Brother Parham wouldn't even feel with the Holy Ghost, but they had a Bible school. And all they were doing was seeking God as to was the baptism of the Holy Ghost for us today. Because it was uncommon. It's common today, but it was uncommon yeah. then. And if it is for us, what's the initial evidence that you got it? So they all studied. Uh, and, and they asked God about it, you know. And they all come to the conclusion that the baptism of the Holy Ghost was still for us today. And when you were filled, uh, you would be sp spoke in other tongues uh, as the Spirit gave utterance. Yeah. At 12.01 a.m. and right there, 19 something or another right at the front, Brother Parham was called. I got a perfect memory. It's coming to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> this is a side journey. 1906 is when it was. No, it's before then. That was Azusa Street. Parham in uh, Topeka, Kansas was around 1901 or somewhere. But anyway, I had a habit of saying, I can't remember. I don't remember. I don't recall that. I wish I could remember. I wish I could get it. One day, just right up in the Spirit of God, just spoke up and said, do you know why you don't remember? I said, no, I don't know why I don't remember. <laughs> you know, you try to take up for yourself. He said, the reason you can't remember is because you say you can't. And I said, well, Lord, I don't want to lie about it. And you get real spiritual then, you know. I don't want to lie about it. I don't want to tell somebody that I can, you know, I remember when I don't remember. He said, you don't have to lie about it. I said, well, what do I tell them then? He said, just say it's coming to me. <laughs> I'm telling you, I changed my confession and it started working. So just say it's a coming to me. Amen said, what if it takes 14 years? It better to become in 14 years <laughs> than you to lose it forever. How'd you get me over here anyway? <laughs> Topeka, Kansas. At 1201, seemed like around 1900 or 1901, right in there before Azusa Street. But Brother Parham was there. He was led by God to go and start a Bible school. He was led by God to help usher in a movement. He wouldn't go to carry it by itself, and it's never a one-man show. It's always a group of us. It's always a faction of people. But he wasn't even filled with the Holy Ghost. He'd come back from this meeting, and I think it was around 1900, 1901. It was 12.01 a.m. I remember that distinctly. I got a perfect memory. I'm telling you, I do. I do. And I'm not a lie. 
Because the Bible says you can have what you say. Why are you washing your head? Say, I'm going to keep my mind. I'm telling you. I'm going to keep my ears. I'm going to keep my mouth. Oh, that's a job. I'm going to keep my tongue. I'm going to keep my memory. With long life, is he going to satisfy me? Amen. You can have what you say if you believe it. So 1901, Brother Parham came in off the road. Agnes Osmond. Y'all remember Miss Osmond. Don't make me put you in that DeLorean now. But anyway, <laughs> Agnes Osmond. She was a lady. Did it, she had it in her heart. This is for today and I want it. Or Brother Parham is not even filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. She said, lay hands on me. So she, he knelt, she knelt down and he laid hands on her. Oh, God, fill her with the Holy Ghost. And in the Pentecost in those days, because he wasn't Pentecost, but they used to shake you. You know what I mean? And break things and everything. I mean, when they got through, he was basically injured. But, uh, but, uh, but, uh, <laughs> your pastors were telling me about one of them injurious experiences. <laughs> In their ministry traveling, they understand what I'm talking about. But he laid hands on that lady, Agnes Osmond, and she immediately began to speak in other tongues. The first one in Topeka, Kansas, that ever spoke in tongues. But you know, all of a sudden, a move of God was starting. Why? Because they prayed and asked God for it. They were seeking not just one, a faction, a group of people were seeking. All it takes is a group. All it takes is a handful. All it takes is a few of us uh, that'll get a hold to it. And I'm not putting anybody else down. But a lot of folks don't want it or if they, if, uh, you know, or if they think it's not for today and they think this is all we're going to ever have, but you've got to be hungry for it. Them folks were hungry for a move of God. So when he laid hands on her, she began to speak fluently in other tongues. And for three days and three nights, she could not speak in English. Three days and three nights. She could speak totally in a language, but they didn't understand it. She could not answer them. Every time she tried to respond, she couldn't tell them. Trying to make sign motions, she just lost in the spirit. So there was a linguist, language person, that was over in Topeka. So they called him in. And this language person, this linguist, listened to her. And he said, I know exactly what it is. He said, it's pure, exact Mandarin Chinese language. And she spoke in that. And they had that guy because he could write it. And then they would ask her a question. And she would motion for a tablet. And they would give her a tablet. And she would write in Mandarin Chinese and had never spoken Chinese and didn't even know what Chinese was for three days. They were contending for a move of God. So they had a glorious outpouring there, but they wound up down in Houston, Texas. That's when Brother Seymour that wound up out in Azusa Street hooked up with them. Well, because of all the racism back then, you know what I mean? He couldn't even come into Bible school. And of course, Brother Parham felt bad about it, but that's just the way they done it, you know what I mean? So he allowed him to sit at the door and listen. That's how hungry he was. Most of us would have been offended and wanted to whoop them all. You know what I mean? <laughs> we'll show them, my God, my God's a big God. I'll show you. I can break things right here, you know. But he sat there in humility 
That man in humility, I don't know how we could have done it, but he did. And he listened. He, he got a hold to it. That message just got in him. Speaking in tongues, and he was seeking it. At the latter part before Azusa Street started, and it fell on him, he was praying seven hours a day. And he wouldn't even baptize the Holy Ghost. See, you could start praying in, in English, you know, but then when you run out of words, you just kick it in, in the spirit. <laughs> and you keep going. But uh, anyway, he was called. He wouldn't baptize in the Holy Ghost, didn't speak with other tongues in Houston. And so they called him to come out to California and try out in this church, you know, to be an associate pastor. So on Sunday morning, he was going to do his tryout message. And he got up and preached and spit and jumped and hollered. You could imagine. He was so excited about the baptism of the Holy Ghost and how it was for us today. And we all should seek it, even though he wouldn't feel it himself. So he's supposed to come back and preach that night, Sunday night. But when he got back Sunday night, there was a chain and a padlock on the door. They'd call the secret meeting and said, nobody show up. Don't come. Don't come. We don't want that guy, that rascal preaching in our church no more. The church closed the door to the move of God. I said, the church locked the door to the move of God. They chained the door and said, we don't want God in here. They couldn't recognize God. They didn't know what he was doing. But so he went and they found a house on Bonnie Bray Street. And the way all this happened is, uh, there was this little shotgun house, they talked about it, and they got in there, and I believe it was 1906, somewhere you were talking about, that they began to pray and they began to seek just a handful of them, you know, that left that little old church. And they began to pray on on Bonnie Bray Street there in California, not Azusa, but on Bonnie Bray. And uh, the Spirit of God came in there while they were praying over a several day period. Suddenly the wind of the Spirit came in there, knocked all of them to the floor, and the choir came out and sang, another one bit the dust. The power of God can come for good, and it can come to straighten people out too. In Paul's situation, the power came to straighten them out. But this came for good. Now there was a young lady there that had never played a piano in her life, that had no musical abilities. She got up under the anointing of God. There was no upright piano. If you don't know what they are, your mama does. Ask them. But anyway, an old upright piano sitting up there in the corner. She walked up to that piano. She pulled that piano bench stool out and she sat down and began to play like she'd been to music school all her life and the most melodious tunes came out of her and they stayed with her the rest of her life. I'm telling you, that's the move of God that we're contending for. That's what we're contending for, where God totally orchestrates everything. And if he needs something, he can anoint you to do it. Amen. I remember... (laughs) I remember being at Ramah one time in this meeting. They had this missionary there speaking. Brother Gary Crowell, you know, he wound up in China over there somewhere. You know, he was uh, sitting beside me. And this missionary, he was an American, but he had been sent to this foreign country by God. And he said how he struggled to learn the language. And while he was praying one day, God just dropped that language on him and he could speak it more perfectly than the people he was talking to. Now, he said, now, if you want God to give that to you, he said, stand to your feet right now, and I'm going to pray over you. Well, Brother Gary Cow, he shot up, bow, he's right beside me. And I looked at him, and I thought, oh, my God, he's trying to speak Chinese. 
But uh, I can't even speak English. My God, I'm getting up to my. <laughs> Hallelujah. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a supernatural of God. There is. It goes beyond the earth realm. It goes beyond the mental realm. It goes about human abilities. It's God's ability in us. That's the move that we're entering into. God's going to take over people. They're going to be lost in the spirit. And you're going to operate in these things. This is what it's all about. It's what God's got us for. And so God began to move and the people begin to come to Bonnie Bray Street because they heard about the move of God. That's what it takes is a move of God. God began to bring the people in it so that they couldn't even fit in a little house. So they were standing on the porch and the weight became so much on this old wooden porch that the porch collapsed, bang. So the police come and for safety reasons, they said, you got to close the door. So uh, here he is praying, Brother Seymour, because he's already filled with the Holy Ghost. And the Lord said, get on the streetcar. And he said, ride down to the city, this certain part of town. And of course, in that day, being of his persuasion and background and ethnicity, he couldn't be there. Black man couldn't be there. But the Lord said, you go down there, you knock on this door at a certain, certain address. I'm telling you, led by the Holy Ghost. He read this street, rode this streetcar down there and jumped off over here, got over here, got over here, and then walked down to where God told him to, got to the address, walked up to this little house there and knocked on the door. Of course, two little bitty ladies, you know, little mamas, you know, come to the door. And of course, they're frightened to start with. Oh, you know, what's he doing here, you know, in this part of the town? And he just, when he opened the door enough for him to hear, he said, God sent me here to start revival. They reached out and grabbed him and drug him in a house. My God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm telling you, that's what we're in for. The supernatural. Drug him in the house. He preached to them papers, those little ladies there. They had some money too. He needed some money. God knows where the money's at. He knows where the money's at. He preached to them and took him up an offering. Said, I got to have a place to have a meeting. And he got the exact money he needed to go down there and rent the horse barn. What you call Azusa Street. At once time it had been old Methodist church, but now it had been a livery stable. So they went down there and they shoveled out the poo-poo. I'm telling you, God will come to a cow barn. Jesus was born in what they call a stable. If the world and the church don't want him, he'll go to the barn, I'm here to tell you. He'll go to the barn. That's what he'll do. But I want him, amen. I want the Lord and he knows he's welcome here. My Lord. So they went down there and cleaned out the cow barn. And they got us some little crates and they put wooden planks on it. And that became the bitches that they sat on. And the power of God began to fall. And the way the anointing would come on Brother Seymour, he had a little room in the top. He would come down and he wouldn't do anything. He would sit up on the platform and people would sit out there thinking he was crazy. And he would take this old box and he had put it on top of his head. And they said, little boys, I read stories. I don't know if you read about Brother Tommy Welch's book. I knew him. I knew him before he ever wrote the book. 
that was there saw and told the stories about what happened there. You know, no, it wasn't there at Zusa Street, but the old saints had come out of there. He lived with them. But anyway, he said the little boys would walk up there and peek under that box, you know, curious, wondering why's he got that doggone box on his head? But it was an act of humility. And you know why? I don't know if God says put the doggone box on, put it on, my God. I don't know. But he put the box on his head, follow the Holy Ghost. And they said sometimes he'd sit there 30 minutes, sometimes 45 minutes, sometimes an hour or even more over an hour. But they said when he took that box off his head and he stood up, the anointing of God was on him and they would have people with no arms, this grow out arm right there. Blind eyes, open deaf ears because the power of God was there. Because they didn't turn it away, they wanted it. And that's the move of God, ladies and gentlemen, that we're into right now. We're in the edges of it, uh, but we're pressing on in. And it's been hindered because many in the body of Christ, I'll just give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm not attacking nobody. But I just say many in the body of Christ don't understand it. They think that this is all it is, but it's not. It's the miraculous. It is the supernatural. It is living in a spiritual realm. That's what it is. Paul said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He got in the spirit and stayed with the spirit. And that's exactly what we are doing in this day. So that's how Azusa Street, of course, started in the synopsis and got going. Of course, we know it spread and many people were ministered to. And of course, uh, there's a move of God that's going to far surpass that. Brother Seymour prophesied that there were about a hundred years uh, that would come a move of God that would far surpass anything that happened there. Yeah. And I, I think it was around 1906, right in that time when it was moving, the Spirit was moving a lot. In 1910, uh, uh, Brother Parham prophesied also, not having known that Brother Seymour prophesied it, that about a hundred years from now, there would come a move of God that would far eclipse uh, what happened at Azusa Street. Uh, and I'll tell you the truth about it, when you get down to it, it's the book of Acts multiplied probably times a thousand. I don't know exactly. Multiplication of the signs, miracles, and wonders in this last day in the times that we live in. And that's where we want to go and that's what we want to have. And God's got a vehicle. We are part of the move of God. You are part. This church, this movement here is part of that move of God because it has had a hunger. You have had a desire for this move and God is not gonna let that desire go unquenched. He's gonna satisfy every hungry heart and he's gonna fill everyone with the spirit of the living God in this day. And he's gonna glorify himself among us. In the name of the Lord Jesus. He'll do it. It's among us. We must understand that God is moving today. I'll try to get some of this other in here if I can. But I want to talk to you again about seven people that were named by God. About this move of God. We're in the move of God. And the only reason I'm doing this is to lay a scriptural foundation. I learned this from Dad Hagen. Because I want to talk to you eventually, sometime or another, the Lord willing, about Dad Hagen about Dr. Kennedy Hagin, so we can understand, not just for your benefit, but for others that may hear. Because that's part of my calling and anointing now to do that. And I have to be obedient to what he's called me to do, among other things. But there's only seven people that were named by God before their birth in the Bible, in the Bible. 
Now, there were people that was named, but it was after they were born. Their names were changed, you know, Jacob to Israel, you know, things like that. Abram to Abraham, you know, things like that. But people, and we'll just go through this very hurriedly. And uh, I'll just give you the scriptures. Is that all right? So you can look it up later. But the first one in the Bible that was named by God before they were born, it might shock you to learn this, was Ishmael. Found in Genesis 16, 11. It's the first one in the Bible to be named by God before they were born. Ishmael. You know the story of Ishmael, Abraham and Sarah. You know that. Ishmael was named by God. The second one that was named by God before they were born in Genesis 17, 19 was Isaac. Remember Isaac? Isaac was the second one in the Bible to be named by God before their birth. Remember, other people were touched by God. Names were changed after they were born, but this was before they were born, and God had specific works. God, anytime God names somebody before they're born, it always has real spiritual significance in the earth. Things would happen and occur. In fact, we're still having problems with Ishmael today. The next one is 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 9. Solomon was named by the Lord before he was born. Solomon, he's the third one in the Bible that was named by God before they were born. The next one, and again, you can go look it up because we took time. It just takes so much time, and that's not my point for doing this. 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 2. And 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 1. Josiah was named by God before he was born. He was the fourth one. It was Ishmael, Isaac, Solomon, and Josiah. Now, this is the one that will give you a free permanent wave in hairdo. You'll not have to go to, in Brother Hagin's honor, go to the beauty parlor, ladies. That's what he called them, beauty parlors. But in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28... And then Isaiah over to Isaiah chapter 45, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 44, uh, verse number 28, then go to uh, chapter 45, verse 1. Cyrus was named by the prophet 175 years before he was born. God declared that Cyrus, if you go read about him later, you study Cyrus would do certain things, and certain things would come to pass. The prophet prophesied it 175 years before he was born. He was born, his name was Cyrus, and he'd done exactly what God said he would do. God named him through the prophet, that is. And then, since you're so excited, that was one, two, three, four, how many, five? Cyrus. And one that you've been knowing since you was knee-high to a grasshopper, jumping ditches with soda crackers. <laughs> this is one that you know. Turn to Luke, and this is where I want to pick up at. Luke chapter 1. Has a spiritual significance when God names somebody before they're born. Usually something is going to occur through that person or the person's descendants That would affect the world, usually. That would affect the world. But in Luke chapter 1, 
Verse number 5. Are you ready for this? So this would be the sixth one. It says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, uh, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless, and they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, this is Zacharias, he stands in the priest's office, verse 9, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot, what he was job was to do at that time, was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So Zacharias is in there to burn incense in the temple of the Lord. Verse 10 says, And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of the incense. And that's a whole message in itself, but that's not what I'm here to talk about. Verse 11 says, And there appeared unto him, what? An angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Notice the angel came. In the last days, we're going to have more experiences along these lines. We don't seek experiences, though. We seek God. Verse 12. And when Zacharias saw him, the angel, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. He was awestruck. Verse 13. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias. He said, For thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. And what will happen? Thou shalt call his name John. John the Baptist, as we call him, was named by God before his birth, and it would have spiritual significance that would eventually affect the world. Says here in verse number 14, it says, And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. In verse 14. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. Help me, Jesus. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb, and many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And notice here. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now I'm going to prove to you, the Lord willing, before we get through sometime or another, that your calling today is this calling right here. Latter part of verse 17. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The coming of the Lord. He was getting them ready for the first coming. What we're doing, what we're called, this church is called, this movement is called, is to make ready a people prepared for the second coming of the Lord. That's what our calling is. And I'll show you that. We'll prove it through the scriptures and prove it through revelation and prove it by what Jesus Christ said before it's over. We must understand these things. And again, part of my anointing and calling today in my life is to tell these things. And we're going to do what he said do. Isn't that right? And thank God that this has happened. And so he was to make ready and prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. In verse number 26, he was the sixth person that was named by God. The last and seventh person 
ever named by God in the Bible. Do you have any idea who it was? If you'd have missed that one, I wouldn't have given you no gold stars. But, you know, but since you got it, I'm going to give you platinum stars. You've done real good. I'm proud of you. He was the seventh and final one. The seventh and final one. The number of completion. Named by God in the Bible. Do your own research. Don't just take my word for it. Holy Ghost showed me this. I, I had no idea. When Jesus was named, that completed it. It completed it. What, to start this movement. Now others were going to, I'm going to tell you about another person that was named by God. But it was important. In the Bible, this is the last one. In Luke chapter 1 verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph, and of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 28. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hell, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind or thought in her mind what manner of salutation or greeting this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Now for Mary to find favor with God, she had to be one that sought after God. You understand? She had to be because it's proven through the scriptures. That's the pattern. Find the way God moves and find that pattern and plug into it. You're going to have the same experience. Mary sought God. Mary was after God. Amen? That's why she had an experience. You have found favor with God in verse 30. Verse 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name, what? Jesus. The seventh and final human being to be named by God before they were born in the Bible. And he said, he shall be great. He shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord shall give him the throne of his father David. So we see here, and I've shown you that there were seven people that were named by God before, before they were born. Jesus being the seventh one. You understand that and you see that. Amen? Amen. So we see that God can name people before they were born. Isn't that right? Amen. Through a supernatural event, through an angel or the Lord or a prophet speaking. It, you know, because it, it happened different ways. But any, either way, it came from heaven. It did not come from earth. Remember the prophet in the Old Testament spoke and he named Cyrus. He prophesied 175 years before he ever got there what his name would be and what he would do and he'd done it exactly. Everything. God named people before they were born. So we have seven people that were named by God before they were born. So we ask this question because I know you want me to be theologically correct and rightfully so. Is it possible for God to name somebody before they're born in our day, in our time, in our generation, in our era. I believe that there is, and it is. There was a man named Kenneth e. Hagin that was called by God to start a movement in this earth. The anointing of Kenneth e. Hagin, and we'll tell you the story 
about Kenneth E. Hagin as much as I, uh, you know, have time and, and will share with you, but it would encourage you. Because I personally believe this. I believe if you don't understand who Kenneth Hagin was, not in a sense the man in and of himself, the flesh man, you know, his physical man, but the spiritual significance he had for our generation. I, I believe that you'll miss what God is doing. Because what happens is when you look back at him, or, and know, we know he, he went on and moved to heaven in 2003. But if you get to thinking, well, he was just a man. There was no spiritual significance to his life. So we don't have to listen to him anymore. It's time for us to go our own way and just write him off as a washed up old fogey. That's when you get in trouble. And that's why many have gotten in trouble. Because they didn't realize the spiritual significance of his life and his ministry. Again, not just the human being. I'm talking about the anointing and call of God on his life. Kenneth E. Hagin was born in the city of McKinney, Texas on April the 22nd. You just missed his, uh, his birthday here just a few days ago. But you don't have to know it, you know. It's my job. But uh, April the 22nd, a lot of things happened in his life in McKinney, Texas. But uh, his mother, you remember, had married a man. And her, his mother's name was Lily. This is Lily Viola. That's a good country name for city folks, I'm telling you. <laughs> Lily Viola, and uh, she'd married a man named Mr. Hagen. Mr. Hagen come from a good family. And uh, had a good uh, background as far as money and all that goes. But uh, her parents were greatly concerned... Lily's parents, were greatly concerned about him marrying this man because he seemed not to have the character to handle all the money that was bestowed on him. In fact, he, he blowed it away. He didn't, you know, he didn't take responsibility for his actions. And they thought because he don't take responsibility for his actions, he just run and done anything anyway, didn't matter what he done, that he thought that they would treat, he would treat her the same way. So they tried to talk her out of marrying him, Miss Lily. Out of marrying Mr. Hagen. And uh, she said, well, Mama and Daddy, she said, if I make my bed hard, I'll just lie in it. That's good country talk for city folks. Well, she married him, and uh, she made her bed hard. Turned out to be an alcoholic, and he would just leave them with no food to eat and, or anything like that. And so she was pregnant, and he left her. And she's pregnant with uh, little Kenneth Hagen. Kenneth Irwin Hagen. And... Uh, of course, she got down and she was so prideful, she didn't want to go home to her parents, which they were pretty well off too. And they would have given her anything. They tried to get her to come. They wanted to help her. And she wouldn't swallow her pride, you know. But finally, for the baby's sake, said she swallowed her pride and said, for the baby's sake, I'm going to Mama's house. Because I know Mama helped me. Thank God for Mama's. Thank God for daddies. Don't leave us daddies out now. Because we're there. Because we'll help them too, you know. So she took off down East Stanford Street. You've been there, haven't you? Don't make me put you in that DeLorean. I've been there. In the 900 block of East Stanford Street in the city of McKinney, Texas. She's walking along a black dirt road. And she's walking upon this black dirt road down toward her mama's house. In a week, you can imagine she's weak because of all this stuff. 
that happened to her. She's weak and she's walking down through there. And when she got in front of Aunt Mary's house, you remember where Aunt Mary lived. You know, it was on East Standardford Street. It was a black dirt street and there was a little pothole over there. Remember? <laughs> I got to get you back there with me. And suddenly she heard something like wind blowing around her. She looked up startled thinking there's coming up a storm and thinking there's a tree. And around with the wind because it sounded like wind blowing through the trees. And so when she got to it, she realized there ain't no tree here. And then she heard it again. And walked on and thought, well, what is this? You know, looking around. And then she heard it again. When she looked in the sky, didn't see a cloud in the sky. She thought it might have been blowing up a rain, you know. And then suddenly she walked on a few steps, heard this noise again, looked into the sky, and she said she saw just a tiny cloud, but this cloud was moving. And that's what caught her attention. And this cloud come down out of the sky, and it come about head top level of where she was. Head top level, except it wasn't a cloud. It was the glory of God. And Jesus Christ himself, Jesus was, standing on that cloud. And he spoke to Lily Hagen, and he said to her, Fear not, the child shall be born. And thou shalt call his name John. For just as John the Baptist was the forerunner of my first coming, he will be the forerunner of my second coming. Well, it paralyzed her with fear. It scared her almost to death, we would say. And she took off running down that dirt road towards Granny Drake's house. Granny Drake's her mama. She got down there. You remember she turned off the street. You remember in those days she had to run up the steps because they had porches around the house. Everybody had porches almost all the way around the house and nobody locked the door. You know, the screen door, the doors open and the screens there because you didn't have to lock them in that day. And she ran up the stairs, grabbed that screen door, pulled it open and ran in out of breath and there stood Granny Drake. And Granny Drake said, Lily, what's wrong with you? Said, look like you've seen a ghost. She said, Mama, Mama, I was in front of Aunt Mary's house and Jesus appeared to me and he told me to fear not, the child shall be born and thou shalt call his name John for just as John the Baptist was a forerunner of his first coming that he will be the forerunner of, my, of his second coming. And Granny Drake said, Oh, Lily, don't tell anybody. They'll think you crazy. Because in those days, people didn't have experiences like that. People didn't understand. She don't tell anybody about it. So that was August the 18th that this happened. I believe of 1917. August the 18th. So August the 22nd, she started in birth pains, premature. So they called in Dr. Irwin. Kenneth Hagen's name was Kenneth Irwin Hagen. He was named, his middle name is named after the doctor that delivered him. Irwin, E-R-W-I-N. There's a street in McKinney, Texas named after Irwin. I assume it is Dr. Irwin. Don't know. I didn't get to talk to Dr. Irwin, but yeah, a little bit before my time. I know you have great hopes for me, but I don't go back that far. But anyway... So Dr. Irwin was called in. So he rushed down to the family. The doctors made house calls in the, those days. He came in and started to, looking because she's in labor. And he, he started thinking and said, oh my goodness. He said, uh, uh, Miss uh, Drake, talking about Granny Drake, her, her mama, you know, Kenneth Hagen be grandmama. He said, Miss Drake, he said, I need to call in and get some counsel from other doctors. 
said, I don't think that I can save both of them. Either Lily's going to die or the baby's going to die. He said, I just don't think. They didn't have all the technology we got today. So he called in several other doctors, and they all consulted. And the consult was this. Either Lily's going to die or Kenneth Hagin, the baby, is going to be born and going to live. So he went to uh, Mr. Drake, Dr. Irwin did, and said, Mr. Drake, he said, I need you to make a decision. He said, we decide, decided that I can't, now all the doctors are not going to be there than the childbirth he is. He said, but we decided, he said, that, that I can't save Lily and the baby. He said, so I'm asking you, which one do you want me to save? And she said, oh, Dr. Irwin, don't put that on me. I said, that's my baby. And that's my grandbaby that she's pregnant with. Don't put that on me. I can't make that decision, Dr. Irwin. So Dr. Irwin realized that she couldn't handle it. You know, like most grannies couldn't, you know. Don't tell me to, you know, you're going to kill my doctor or daughter or the baby's going to die. So he said, okay. He said, we'll see what we can do. So Granny Drake had helped the doctor. She was what they call a midwife, helped working with doctors in her day. So she helped, and, and Kenneth Hagen was born. But it was horrendous labor and childbirth, and she was bleeding profusely, and I don't want to go too far. Kids in here, mamas, you understand what I'm talking about. Daddy's has been there. You know what I'm talking about. The stork don't fly, you know. You know, <laughs> I taught you that in one of the other services. But anyway, it was bad. And, and so when he was born, little Kenneth Hagen, he weighed less than two pounds. His face was not filled out. He was premature, a preemie baby. The doctor picked him up, trying to save her life too, Lily, because she's about dead. He looked at him and said, oh, Miss Drake, said he's dead. And he laid him over on the end of the bed there. Never cleaned him up. Mamas, you know what I'm talking about, daddies. Never cleaned up the little baby, just laid him there. And began to work with Lily, trying to save her life because he knew there was no hope Kenneth Hagin had already been pronounced dead, even though he hadn't been named yet. He's pronounced dead by the doctor. So they worked frantically, he, he and uh, Granny Drake, her mama, to try to keep her alive, keep her from bleeding to death and other things, you know. Finally, after about 40 minutes, they got stabilized. And the doctor got her stabilized enough that he thought he could, he'd had to go to the doctor's office, get some supplies, and come back. So he said, Miss Drake, he said, I need to go to the office. And he said, I've got to get some supplies if I'm going to keep her, Lily alive. And then he picked up, by this time, about 45 minutes after he's born, he picked up little Kenneth Hagin, this little preemie baby, said, Mr. Drake, he's dead. He said, while I'm gone, he said, take him out back and bury him in the garden with a shovel. Now that may seem cruel, but that's the way people lived in that day. We don't live that way. Our mentality can't understand that, but that's the way it was. Cemeteries were sometimes in people's yards or backyards or gardens, you know. That's the way it was. Things have changed in our day and era, and you wouldn't understand it. But that's the way it was then. And so he left, and of course, Granny Drake still working with Lily. Well, after she worked with her, she started to realize she's resting some. So Miss Drake, Granny Drake went over to where Kenneth Hagin is laying there, this time almost about an hour. No breath, no life, no movement, no sound, no nothing. 
You know, when little babies are born, you know, they holler a lot. Do you understand? And we like to hear them holler because that, that's the sound of life, you know. But no sound, no movement, nothing. So Granny picked him up with a broken heart. Hardest thing Granny would ever do in her life is bury her grandbaby with a shovel in the backyard. She picked up that little baby, never been cleaned off or anything because the baby's dead. And she walks out, goes to the back porch, walks down the steps, walks over to what you would call a utility shed. It was a smokehouse back then. Got a shovel out with a heavy heart. And she's going to go around beside the smokehouse behind the garden and dig a hole and bury this little baby in it. But about the time she made the corner, this little baby kicked in her arms, in her hands. Just a little baby, two pounds. You ever bought a two-pound fryer hen? <laughs> Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, could you imagine how little this thing is? But he kicked, and she detected a spark of life about him. And Granny could not bury that baby. Thank God for doctors, but I'm calling this shot, Granny said. Amen. We thank God for doctors, but there's time you need to call the shots. Stand on the word. She took him back in, put the shovel up, took him back in, cleaned him off, dressed him in this uh, little diaper that was swallowed him whole and, and put this little dress on him and everything and swallowed him whole and laid him up on this scale, you know, that they had in the house and he weighed just a tad over two pounds. And she thought, what in the world am I going to do? This little bitty baby that's pronounced dead is now alive. God is working his plan. God reached into death and brought his plan out. God reached in to where the devil was trying to end the plan of God. I'm here to tell you the devil cannot stop the plan of God. Nothing can. He reached in and got him and brought him out of that death. And then the doctor came back after about an hour. When he walked in, he seen Granny Drake with uh, this little baby. And it made him mad. He got it furious. He said, what are you doing? I told you that baby was dead. I told you the doctors don't like to be wrong. You know what I mean? We thank God for doctors. We appreciate our doctors. But, you know, he had, he, medically, he had examined him twice. He's dead. But Granny says he's got to take the spark of life and I couldn't bury him. She said, you got anything I can feed him? She had a little pack of formula. You know, you mix some powder with water in those days. And he took it out of her pocket, his coat, suit coat pocket, and threw it at her in anger. Said, here, feed him this. This will last longer than he will. Because, you know, he, he couldn't believe it. So he never nursed the breasts or had a bottle in his life because he couldn't, didn't have the strength. She would have to feed him an eyedropper, a little bitty eyedropper, one little drop of milk at a time. And that's how they fed him and nursed him. But now Kenneth Hagin, he didn't know anything about his name. supposed to be John. They wound up naming him Kenneth Irwin Hagin. So he knew nothing about this. They never said a word from 1917. But when Kenneth e. Hagin was 33 years old, he was caught up to heaven. There's something about the 33, but we don't have time for that, and it's not important anyway. He was 33 years old, September the 2nd, 1950, in Rockwall, Texas. He was praying, remember? Don't make me take you back there. I said you remember, yeah? He was praying. 
in Rockwall, Texas. He didn't know about his name supposed to be John. He didn't know anything about it. He just serving the Lord to the best of his ability. You know, he was raised up. God healed him, you know, and all kinds of things. You know, the song, I'm just skipping through hitting some high points because <clears throat> I just want to get to this, you know, and get this out. But anyway, he was there in, in Texas and, and uh, under a tent in Rockwall, Texas, and it had been raining all day and everything. And so at the end of the meeting, he just preached a little message. It was a blessing to Christians. And he says about 40 people, 45 people there. And he said, just come down to the front and pray. And so there wasn't many dry spots because the water was running underneath the tent, you know, because it had been raining all day long, a gentle soaking rain. And so when he got up to get down to go down and pray, like the rest of them by the altar, there wasn't no dry spot. So he just stayed up on this little wood platform they had, knelt down by this chair. Well, in the process of him praying, he heard this voice speaking. Come up hither. Come up hither. And he thought, oh my goodness. That must be them little boys I saw out there throwing rocks at us and making fun of us. You know, little boys can be cantankerous sometimes, you know. You know how you were or how your brother was or how your little son was. Cantankerous. And he thought little boys were out there throwing rocks at the tent making fun of them. Come up hither. Come up hither. You can see how spiritual he was, you know. <laughs> Come up hither. He's thinking they're throwing rocks. He's thinking, why don't one of the ushers or somebody go out there and make them boys stop? And the voice kept saying, come up hither. Come up hither. Then he heard, come up hither to the throne of God. And then he looked up to see what's going on and where the top of the tent would be. There stood Jesus. And then Jesus, he went to meet Jesus in the air and they traveled through the air to the third heaven. When they got to the third heaven... <coughs> They walked up in the throne room of God. When they got to the throne room of God, he said the first thing he noticed was the winged creatures that it talks about in the book of Revelations. He said they had wings and they had eyes around their head and he said they were saying something that he couldn't make out. But when he and Jesus walked up, they immediately they stopped talking and they folded their wings. They stood at attention. And they were standing within 18 feet of the throne of God, which is not very far. Maybe as far from here to there, or a little further, but not far. 18 feet, the throne of God. And Jesus said he looked, and he could see a figure sitting on the throne. But he couldn't make it out. It was like a veil between him and the Father. But he knew it was the Father God. And Jesus said to him, don't look upon him. So he turned back to him. And Jesus began to talk to him about his ministry and everything. And then he told him for the first time, September the 2nd, 1950, he said, I appeared to your mother before you were born. And I told her to fear not that you, the child shall be born and you shall call his name John. For just as John the Baptist was the forerunner of my first coming, he will be the forerunner of my second coming. Now, when he said that, that's the first time that Kenneth Hagin had ever heard it. His mama never told him. His granny never told him. Nobody ever told him. They'd think, his, you know, his mama was crazy. So that was on a Saturday night. On Sunday night, the next night, that'd be September the 3rd, they closed the meeting out. Well, on Monday, his mama, Mrs. Lily Hagin, Lily Viola Hagin, came to visit them at their house there in the Garland, Texas area. And she was sitting in her living room. And Brother Hagin said to his mama, he said, Mama, said Jesus appeared to me Saturday night, and he told me that he appeared to you 
before I was born. And he said when he said that, he said it was like a, somebody had stuck her with a pin. He said, you can ask my wife, talking about Miss Aretha. Stuck her with a pin. He said she jumped up on the side of the seat and said, Ken, what did you tell me to name you? Ken, what did you tell me to name you? Because she knew if he knew that name, because only her and Granny Drake knew that, that he really saw Jesus. Said, Mama, said, Jesus told me that he told you to call me John. And she broke down weeping and crying. She said, oh, yes, Ken, I'm sorry. She said, Mother, he said, don't worry about it. He said, Jesus told me in heaven that the name wasn't really that significant, but the spirit and the work was. And he said, the work will go on. Now, when I said that about Kenneth e. Hagin, let me tell you this. I'm not saying that Kenneth e. Hagin just embodied the forerunner of the second coming of Jesus by himself. Not just by himself, but the movement that would start through him would usher in the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Kenneth E. Hagin, the movement that started through him would be the forerunner of the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, of which you have a part in it. You have a part. We are forerunners of the second coming of Jesus. And what is the calling on your life? I thought you would never ask me. Luke chapter 1, verse number 17, the latter part of that verse, what our calling is, is to make ready a people prepared for the second coming of the Lord, just like John the Baptist was anointing, was to make ready a people for the first coming of the Lord. Now, there's a lot of subheadings under that main title, you understand, that goes with that and the how-tos and wherefores. But thank God that the Holy Ghost is with us and that God is putting us over and that we're moving into everything that God has for us. Ladies and gentlemen, we're right now in the greatest move of God that the world has ever seen or known. We are presently in the last great revival said, where's the revival at? It's among us even now. We're in this last great revival. All we've got to do is enter into it, press into it by faith, and do not quit. God has called us into this. He's called others into it. In fact, he's called as many as will come into it. Amen. And thank God people are getting a hold to it and they're going on. We don't worship a man. We worship the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? We worship the Lord. We lift up the Lord. But we do honor and respect those who are used by God. Amen. The Bible says give honor to whom honor is due. So we cannot disrespect. I said all that to get to this. We cannot disrespect what Dad Hagen taught us. And expect to go into this move of God. If you disrespect it. Now I'm prophesying to you. And of course you don't need it. But somebody does. I'm going to prophesy to you. If you disrespect what God taught us through Dad Hagen, you will go into spiritual darkness and it will overcome you. And you'll walk around and you won't know what God is doing and what God is saying. But I can tell you about you, you're ready for it. You're the kind of folks that go for it like that old bass, hook, line, and sinker. My God, just give it to me. Get out of my way. I might break something. Let me out here. I mean... Ladies and gentlemen, it belongs to us. And that's what you're called to. Your pastors were called to this. I'm telling you, they were called. And that anointing's on them in the name of Jesus. And if it's on them, it's on you. There's a mandate on their lives. 
I said there's a mandate on their lives. A mandate. Because they have been around the edges of this and they've been pushing to this and you've been pushing for this and the devil's trying to keep you out, but you're going in. There's a mandate on this church. There's a responsibility on us. We got to lift this banner high and that's what we're going to do in the name of Jesus. I'm not here telling you something you don't know. I'm just putting a log on the fire what you already know. Amen. It belongs to us. Don't let the devil keep us out of what belongs to us in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for the Holy Ghost. Thank you for the power of God. I know you were blessed by this message. If you would like to receive more information about Randall Greer Ministries, or if you'd like to receive our free newsletter, just let us know. We'd be happy to send it to you. Just write us at Randall Greer Ministries, P.O. Box 2227, Owasso, Oklahoma, 74055. Or you can contact us at our website, www.rgm.me. And remember, God is always with us.